When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Geekscapist, I'm sitting here with filmmaker Isa Lopez. She's got a brand new film that hits uh, VOD this week. It's called Tigers Are Not Afraid, and she's taken some time to talk to me a bit about it because I love the film. Uh, it was shot in Mexico uh, with young actors, and there's a lot going on here. You might call it a horror film. You might call it a dark fairy tale. For those of you guys who are fans of Guillermo del Toro, you might really love this film. Uh, and I'm really glad that Issa's here to talk to me about it because I found it to be super interesting and engaging and uh, and unique, which I think is is a big thing uh, now. You do get a lot of films that are uh, horror films and low budget horror films and indie horror films, but this one has a few things going on that I have not seen before. Issa, how are you doing? I'm so happy to be here and uh, excited that the movie finally got to the final incarnation which is the physical release and it's such a great one you know it's a filmmaker's dream because it has all these extras when you're shooting a movie you have this fantasy usually that the movie is going to be so well received that you're going to to do a special edition with uh with you know set designs and sketches of your own and uh, the casting calls and uh, that usually doesn't happen and it did happen with tigers so i'm so excited so this one landed pretty close to your idea for it but uh i think we talked before about the film and it sounds like the film went through several iterations let's talk about the subject matter of the movie and kind of the backdrop because uh for geeks gave us who are unfamiliar with the topic it does take place in mexico against the backdrop of Los Desaparecidos, which is uh, the missing children, but not just missing children. Uh, Mexico has a, a, a history, a recent history of people disappearing from college students who are protesting local government's corruption with the narcos to uh, street kids like the ones in your family. Uh, what made you decide that this would be a backdrop to tell a story about kids? Um. 
Well, you know, it, it's absolutely true that, that there is this horrible wave of missing people in Mexico, and it has a lot to do with the drug gang violence uh, that is that has taken hold of all of Latin America. And, uh, and you know, people disappear. And the numbers are so massive that, first of all, there's no real numbers. A lot of the, the, the people that go missing is never reported because um, big uh, migrations happening inside the country, people trying to get to the U.S., from Mexico, from Central America, and um, and people moving inside the country because the economy is in pieces. So it's very hard to track. And um, and when people go missing, um, when adults go missing, many times the children um, that depended on them are left on their own. And uh, I, I have to confess, I didn't stop to think about it. Because the shock and the the necessary reaction is all about the missing people, and and the family is looking for them. But it's usually adults who put a campaign. But when the kids are left on their own, um, it never gets to the news. It never gets to the media. And uh, as big as a fascination with the figure of the drug lord and of the cartels is in media around the world. Uh, nobody's really talking about the results that ongoing war has had on children. And I felt that it was high time to talk about them. And even in this country, when we think about the immigration policy from South America and from Mexico, we think about it in terms of the adults because of uh, the jobs and uh, whether or not they're illegal uh, workers or people taking jobs or here in California, obviously, we rely on uh, these workers from Mexico and Central America for the, the amount of produce California creates. It's a huge part of our economy, uh, and I'm not, and I don't know where you how you replace them. Um, and so we always talk about the adults when you think about uh, immigration, and these kids do get lost, and we do have a lot of imagery coming out of uh, the response where kids are being put in cages and. This and that, or, or the, the just dying in the in the heat. Um, it didn't seem like a, a backdrop to then weave in your fairy tale story, which is kind of what's cool about the movie. You have this really dark kind of palette or uh, canvas, and then you, you you pull out some new stuff into the palette that you can paint with, which is the fairy tale element. Where did the fairy tale element come uh, in Tigers Are Not Afraid? Well, the moment that you realize that you're going to be telling a story about kids, where the main characters are kids, the magical element is already there. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the children mind and children logic incorporate easily the supernatural and the magical on one hand. On the other hand, I've always thought that the best way to deliver uh, heavy social content is through genre. You know, one one movie that um, really influenced my decision uh, of going into Tigers was District 9, which is a 2009 South African movie. Uh, and it's, it was for me amazing how this movie could take a problem as complex as apartheid and as um, xenophobia in in South Africa and... Um, and make make it into an incredible adventure that kept you on the edge of your seat. 
because it was told through the lens of an alien invasion. It was a sci-fi movie, but it was a tremendous social commentary. And, um, and you get away, you can get away with a lot. It also allows audiences to open up emotionally and to invest in the characters and not become defensive because of the overload that we have of news and sad stories from immigrants and refugees. There's, I think, I feel it myself as much as I do care, of an immediate defense that, that we place to distance ourselves from these characters. Otherwise, we couldn't cope. But when genre comes into play and becomes a tool, we we allow ourselves to go deeper into the stories. And so then, it's all, oh, so, yeah, sorry. No, no, no. I, no, I was just going to say that it's almost like a defense mechanism because some of the realities are so horrible that we sometimes need to step back and use genre as a prism in order to see clearly what we're feeling. Right, completely. I think that... Um, it's a it's a it's a necessary defense with for the deluge of of uh, sad, true, necessary, poignant stories that are happening in the real world. We we would be you know in a deep depression and incapable of moving if we would open our hearts to every one of them. So eventually we become desensitized. Is it's a perfectly normal defense mechanism. Now as an artist. As, as a filmmaker, how do you manage to still get close to your audience's heart? And the tool I found was genre. The truth of it is there was no sacrifice for me. I love genre. I've been obsessed with it my entire life. I'm, I'm a true geek. And, um, and because of the opportunities that naturally happen in my career, that allowed me to go into cinema through comedy, which I love, I hadn't had the opportunity of, of making my own genre story. So this was the perfect chance. And I took it. When you were growing up, uh, what were some of the influences that you then took into the story? Like what were your early geek habits? Well, I, uh, you know, my mother died when I was very young of natural causes not like the the mothers of the characters in my movie who are taken from them in a very violent way. Uh, but still, uh, it's it's such a shocker and a complete and absolute life change when when the very center of your life is is taken from you. You know when when a parent dies. So um, I think I took refuge from from a world that. I suddenly saw that could change under your feet without warning. And um, what I did is I went deep into horror literature. And I started, you know, with Edgar Allan Poe and, and Maupassant and, uh, and all the classic horror storytellers. And eventually moved into reading at a quite a young age Stephen King novels. Um, I remember reading. Salem's Lot, which is a, a very dark book, very scary, and uh, and very thick at nine, you know? So um, this became the universe I inhabited. I went into Lovecraft, and then I discovered science fiction with Dune and Frank Herbert and uh, Stanislav Lem and a whole universe um, that opened for me 
at a certain level, the possibility that the rules of reality were not as fixed, that the world had, you know, ways in which death was not that final, where time was not that linear, where reality was flexible. And that was fascinating for me. And there was cinema, of course, you know, and uh, I loved horror cinema. And um, and I loved um, uh, science fiction and adventures. And I grew up in a generation that was completely nurtured by Amblin movies on one hand. On the other hand, my father, who effectively raised me and my younger sister, was a film lover and insisted on taking us. He was fine with us watching all the Amblin Gremlins, uh, uh, Goonies, um, E.T.s, all those movies were fine as long as we would also be watching uh, Bergman and Tarkovsky and Antonioni and all of those other filmmakers. So it, there was a mix of, of art house cinema and pop cinema that I think informs the way I approach cinema today. And what's incredible about it is a lot of us don't get into that stuff until there's like that older person in high school or in college that's like, hey, have you seen these things? And they then get us into some of the art house films. Um, I was uh, I was pretty uh, fortunate to grow up in Austin that has a pretty nice art house um, uh, culture to it, even in the 90s. Uh, it, it, you know, Richard Linklater did a lot to get South by Southwest to another level. And you guys premiered at Fantastic Fest in Austin. It seems like the perfect place to premiere a movie like this, which is a really interesting genre movie. And it's got its own thing going on and also an independent film and a foreign film. So you guys premiered at Fantastic Fest. It it seems perfect for you guys. It was absolutely perfect for the movie. The the audiences uh, that attend Fantastic Fest were... I think important to see this movie because on one hand it is genre, it's a ghost story. The 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 specters, the ghosts of the the missing people come after make children who are escaping from the very much real threats of the of the horror of the actual war happening. But at the same time, this, they're escaping the supernatural, and um, and Fantastic Fest audiences they love a good uh, ghost story, but it's one of the things that I adore about Fantastic Fest is how art house is so embraced and so understood. So the mixture of those two is 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 was bound to to found a fan base in Fantastic Fest, and that's what happened. Um, no one had heard about the movie or me, of course, before, and um, and I remember, uh, you know, being in Fantastic Fest, watching amazing movies. And, um, you know, just going there, nobody knows your face, your name, nothing. And then the movie opened and it was gloriously impossible to go to the bathroom because people would stop me gushing about the movie. And um, and it has become the home for Tigers. And for myself, I, I went back uh, last year as a juror and it was such a joy. And also Austin, it has such a deep relationship with Mexican culture and um and yeah and with the art scene so it was just the perfect place i was very fortunate to be raised there and uh every summer we would go down to mexico and my grandparents lived in guadalajara and they still do 
And I just remember learning to read uh, Spanish from sitting down and reading a Donald Duck comic book in, in, in a plaza outside of a town called Ajijic, outside of uh, Guadalajara, and just putting the phonetics together. Um, and I'll, I'll never forget that because um, looking back, it's fortunate to come from not only those cultures, that mix of cultures, but to come from a place like Austin that uh, there would no be, be no geekscape and the celebration of storytellers that is what this is without that culture there in Austin kind of forming that. Did you have any uh, trouble uh, implementing the fantastical elements? Because there are a lot of uh, kind of gritty uh, Latin American, Mexican films that are uh, dealing with the crisis, whether or not it's the cartels. And I recognize one of your lead actors who played Chino from uh, Narcos Mexico on Netflix and there, that all ex- is just like extreme realism, right? We talked about how uh, there's a genre of almost extreme realism uh, in South American movies, whether or not it's from Brazil or from a, it's in Mexico. Uh, when you started at wanting to add fantastical elements to your story, did you ever get pushback on that? Yeah, because there's a, there's a very successful uh, school of filmmaking, very current and very modern right now in Mexico, and uh, beloved in the in the festival circuit, where it, that it portrays in a very greedy, very ultra real way, the the horrors of violence uh, and of poverty, and of you know, it's uh, there is there is this even term, you know, it's poverty porn <laughs> in a way. Oh really? Wow. Yeah, yeah, which, is, yeah which is tremendous, but it it's it's recognized and. Uh, as a thing, and it has, and it's appreciated in in the art house circuit. So when I when I started to try to get the movie funded, and then in post production, some people, uh, you know, respected filmmakers and fellow filmmakers would seriously suggest that if I removed the magical side of the movie, I was going to have a straight to that art house um, festival circuit. Um, guaranteed access uh, because it was a type of movie. If you took out the the supernatural elements, and you could, you could simply clean them out of the movie. You would end up with a kind of short movie, <laughs> but you could. And uh, and my answer from the beginning was absolutely and totally no. This is a movie about the clash between the brutality of the real world and the vastness and mysteries of the of the supernatural imaginary world that is all around us and uh and removing that would be like removing um the spine of an animal and trying to make it walk so i refuse i flat out refuse and i think i i made the right decision there well, I agree with you. Uh, and this isn't a story you could have then told through the eyes of adults. So you had to tell the story through the eyes of kids. The actors you have are incredible. Um, I These are all basically unknown child actors from Mexico. Yeah. Um, other than, you know, the adults, the few adults that are in the movie, and they are for very sh- short periods of time in the movie. Mm-hmm. They are proved amazing actors, including Tenoch Huerta, who you spotted and is, in my opinion, one of the very best actors of his generation in any country. Um, And we have collaborated before, so we knew how we work. But the kids, the center of the story, they had no experience in acting, or if they had experience, was 
you know, a class here or there, a workshop oh, wow. here or there. Or one of them had made a commercial. One of them had done a beat part in a terrible Mexican TV TV series. <laughs> the first terrible. The, the first thing I had to do was to help them let go of that preconceptions they had about performing because what I needed in the movie to achieve that ultra real feel that would enhance the fantastic elements um, was for the performances to not feel like a performance. They should feel a little bit like there was a hidden camera and have captured actual kids in the street trying to survive. So any preconceptions about performing, they had to be pushed out and forgotten for us to get into raw, real reactions to the fiction we were creating around these kids. Right. But the stuff that they're acting with, some of it's not even on screen. They're acting with a lot of elements that were added in post. How do you get them to extend their uh, that, that disbelief and that imagination in order to act with uh, CGI characters? Well, that's the beauty about working with children. You know, their imagination is boundless. Uh, so uh, what I would do is I would show them, uh, for example, there is a plush tiger and it's in the, it's in the trailer. So it's no, it's no spoiler. There's a plush tiger that comes to life and follows them around and uh, for reasons that, that belong inside the story. And uh, they were so excited about that idea. And they wanted, they actually thought I was going to come with some robotic little tiger. <laughs> I wish I had that, uh, but I didn't have the money for that. So what we did is we we got, a, a, you know, some puppeteers to come and um, and puppet the, the plus tiger and do the action for them to see where the tiger was, how it was going to move. And then after they saw it, I would say, okay, close your eyes, keep it there. And when I say action, you're going to see the tiger do it again. And they managed to do that. You know, it was, that's how we did it. Uh Well, that's pretty incredible. Uh, The performances are fantastic and they come from kids who, like you said, are, uh, they're young and for the most part, they were, they were brand new to this. And you took them places that were not only uh, incredibly engaging, but they were emotionally extreme. And I think Geekscapist, we talked about the subject matter of the movie. Uh, it is not for the lighthearted, but if you guys are into these uh, dark fairy tales or horror films, or even sort of just a, a magical uh, film with a social context, I definitely recommend it. Again, it comes out this week. Definitely look it up on any VOD uh, that you guys have access to. I think we're all quarantining and watching a bunch of stuff. And I definitely think you guys should throw this one on the stack. It's Tigers Are Not Afraid. Uh, Isa, thank you so much for coming on Geekscape. I loved this film and I love talking with you. Thank you, Jonathan. My absolute <laughs> pleasure. <laughs> thank you. You're listening to the Geekscape Network. 